Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. We're in this series, Biblical Stewardship, and we've been, this morning I want to talk about applications. when we look at Scripture, when we look at the Word of God, there is a physical application and there is a spiritual application. When we look at the, the parables and the things that Jesus taught, when we, when we look at the Scriptures, and uh, there are three areas that we've identified of biblical stewardship, obedience, generosity, and management of our resources. Stewardship is managing someone else's resources. Biblical stewardship is managing God's resources, God's way, because it all belongs to Him. So we're going to be going to Matthew chapter 6 and Luke 12. Um, last week at, at the life group on, uh, where, Mar, uh, where Al is leading the group in the, the book of Mark, we talked about the, uh, the story where Jesus fed the 5,000. And it says in that account, 5,000 men. So we know that there were women and children, so there could have been 15,000, 20,000 people there. But one of the things that we talked about was in this passage, uh, they don't have enough food to feed all the people. And in fact, I think the disciples say, uh, the Lord says, will you feed them? And he says, well, that would take like two or three months of, of working, of salary to feed all these people. But Jesus says, you feed them. And he blesses the five loaves of fish, um, the five loaves of bread and the two fish. And, and he gives it to the disciples. And he says, you feed them. So there's the physical application is they were hungry and, and they, they needed to eat. And Jesus met their physical need. But one of the spiritual applications is Jesus said, you feed them. And so God has imparted into us so that we can meet people's needs or help meet people's needs physically, but also spiritually. And so whenever we look at these passages, whenever we look at these accounts where God is doing something, where Jesus is doing something, we need to be asking the Lord, what are you saying to me? There's a physical application and there's a spiritual application How do you want me to apply this to my life? How do you want me to apply this to my situation? Because Jesus taught truths and and principles for us to primarily have a real, authentic, honest relationship with Him. He can handle it when we're having a bad day and we're crying out and the hot tears are running down our face or maybe we're just, you know, being honest with God and saying, God, I don't understand. He can handle our honesty but he's, he wants us to have this healthy relationship with us and to help us in our daily walk. I mean, there are times when Pastor Christine and I will have a passionate uh, conversation, but that's part of the relationship, right? There are times when we don't understand and we have communication gaps or whatever, but that's part of having a real relationship. And I believe me, God can handle it. If we will just be honest with him, it's not like he doesn't know anyway. So 
when we look at these scriptures, when we talk about these passages, as we talk about biblical stewardship, God's word is there for us today. Uh, you know, this whole relationship is not just about eternity and, and going to heaven, but it's about being able to live the abundant life that Jesus came to give us now. You've probably heard the saying that you can give a man a fish and feed him for a meal, or you can teach him how to fish and feed him for a lifetime. And so when we look at the, the principles and the truths of God, it's not just for the immediate, but it's so that we, can, that we can navigate through the challenges of life. The application of biblical truths lead us in how to live this abundant life that Christ came to give us. We, you know, John 10.10, 10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come, Jesus said, that you would have the abundant life. So Jesus died that we may live. Jesus died and took on our sins so that all of our sins could be forgiven. But not just that, but that we could live this abundant life. We can read the Bible, and we should read the Bible. We can allow Jesus to transform our lives. Or not? Are we willing and yielding to Him? We can follow the Lord's plan given through Scripture and yield to the Holy Spirit or not. How many times has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you and you've chosen to ignore it? Don't go there or go over here. Pick up the phone and call. Stop. Wait. Watch. Listen. 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 I guess that's why he gave us one mouth and two ears. <laughs> Jesus and his word give us practical applications of how we can live this thing out. So now I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, my first point this morning is, are you building eternal rewards? Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So as we're going through this series on biblical stewardship, are we using God's resources, the, thing that, the things that he owns, to build the kingdom of God? And are we storing up treasures in heaven? Or are we focused on the temporal things of this life and this world? I think my e eternal retirement account is going to be much greater than my IRA or my 401k. And so what, what are we investing in? Because wherever our treasure is, and we're not just talking about money, we're talking about our time, our resources, wherever our treasure is, there what? The desires of our heart will be found also. And so when we talk about stewardship, even when we talk about money or material things, it's a matter of our heart. Knowing, realizing who is the owner. God owns it all, and He has just given us the privilege and opportunity to steward His things. Because you're not going to take them with you when, you when you go. But another question for you to consider this morning is, how well are you stewarding the resources the Lord has entrusted to you? And we, I think I've asked you this question before through this series, but 
what I want us to, to glean and get from this series is maybe we're thinking about some things differently. And so maybe if I ask you this question two or three or four weeks ago, it might, the answer may be a little different than what it is today. So how well, I want you to take just a couple of seconds and think about this. Think about all the things that the Lord has given you to steward and ask yourself, how well am I doing with those things? With not just finances, with my children, with the gifting, the anointing, with the calling that God has on my life, with the opportunities that I have to serve. We have a tremendous opportunity to serve in a few weeks at the Chemo Boardwalk. There will be a lot of Christians down there, but there will be a lot of unsaved people. There will be a lot of people that are hurting. There, there will be a lot of people that are looking for some hope. There will be a lot of people just maybe come in to check it out and see what it's all about. There are people that come on a, on a yearly basis. They make the trek down to Kima for this service. So we have this opportunity. What are we going to do with it? What do you think the Lord wants to do? Do you think he wants just to have another nice service out on the chemo boardwalk? Yeah, that's nice. But it's hard is to see people's lives change, to see people come into this relationship with him. That's his burden. That should be our burden. And this is the reason this church spends three or four thousand dollars every year to put together this service. It's an outreach. And so as, as you consider the sunrise service, be in prayer now. Be praying for the people that are coming down there. Be praying for the service. And I want to thank all of you that are helping and serving. I would guess that probably most everyone is serving on a team. And I'll talk more about serving next week. But Jesus, he was real with people. The thing that, one of the things I loved about, that I love about Jesus is he gets to the heart of the matter. Have you ever been praying and you think, well, the problem is this over here or that? And God's saying, that's not the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. The problem is this. And I love it that, that Jesus loved people enough to get to the heart of the problem. And he talked to the Pharisees straight up, the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. And not all of them, I guess, but many of them he had a, an issue with because uh, he called them hypocrites. And that word hypocrite means actor, someone that's a fake, someone that puts on a mask, someone that portrays something that they're not really and so Jesus was looking into their hearts. And they looked good. They looked apart. They had on the robes. They had on all, this, all the exterior looked good. But Jesus had a problem with them because of their hearts. Their hearts were far from God. And they were the ones to represent Christ, or represent God. And we are the ones to represent Christ. Yeah, we can look good, and you guys look great today. But what's in our heart? What is the burden of our heart? So Jesus, he would confront the Pharisees. And we've talked about some of these scriptures before where they wanted to kill him because he healed someone on the Sabbath. 
They were missing it. They were missing the heart of God. Let's, let's go to Luke chapter 12. So Jesus has just talked about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And then someone called out from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So let's just stop here for a moment and think about that. What do you think the problem was? Probably this brother was thinking that his, his other brother was taking too much. It, there was probably an issue with money or material things. There was something going on. Maybe this brother, in his heart of hearts, was greedy. Maybe he wanted more than what the other brother was getting. Let's look at the next scripture, Luke 12, 14. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? <laughs> who made you a judge? Jesus, you have all authority in heaven and on earth. So Jesus could have clearly judged. But he's, he's, he's doing something here that's more than just judging. He's getting people to think. And many times when we read the scripture, we need to be thinking, what are you trying to say, Lord? Because Jesus was looking beyond the obvious many times to the physical, but also the spiritual application. Jesus replied, who made me judge over you? But let's look at verse 15. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Oh, wait a minute, I thought he was talking about this inheritance. But see, he's talking about a principle and a truth here that is cutting to the chase, it's getting to the heart of the matter. He's saying, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Maybe he was really hitting this guy in the heart and saying, quit being greedy. Quit trying to take advantage of your brother. Life is not measured by how much you own. Maybe this guy had some issues where he wanted to, to have the best stuff. Maybe everybody else had a, a wagon with 40-inch wheels, and he had a wagon with 52-inch wheels on that wagon. Maybe he was, you know, wanting more than, than what the average person would have. Maybe there was something going on in his heart where he needed to hear Jesus say, life is not measured by how nice your wagon is or how many horses you have or material things, but life is measured by your heart. In Luke 12, 16, then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger, bigger barns, bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Now, let's, let's take note of something here. What we, what we see is that this man is consumed with his stuff. It's all his, right? He says, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all of whose crops? My crops. Then he said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room for all my wheat and other goods. 
And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. What is our attitude? Again, the Lord owns it all. But have we taken possession of His things? And what is our attitude? Is it my barns? Is it my land? Is it my wheat? Is it all about me? I remember officiating a, a, a funeral a number of years ago, and uh, they wanted to play the song, I Did It My Way. <laughs> and I thought, I don't really think he did it his way. You know, I, I didn't know a whole lot about the man that I was doing the funeral for, but I don't think he had a relationship with the Lord. And so do we have this mentality that it all belongs to me, or do we have this, this mentality that we are stewarding the Lord's stuff, His property? But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So how many times have we been distracted by other stuff, by other things, and neglected our having a rich relationship with the Lord? Are there things in your lives that are distracting to you? I have to be honest. I'm going to have a ta moment here, transparent, authentic, and honest. There's a lot of distractions right now in my life. And so we have to be diligent in pursuing this relationship with the Lord. We have to be diligent in carving out time to spend with Him because there's a lot of distractions that will come and pull you away. A phone call, you know, an issue that you have to deal with. Now, one thing I want to say about this, this uh, parable here Planning is not bad. In fact, we should plan. But this man was not kingdom-minded. It was all about him. It was all about him. The Lord blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. So how are you doing in that? This series, Biblical Stewardship, is to help us When the Word says, and we looked at the Scripture, I think, last week, when we're faithful, the Lord gives us more. And this past week, we just had another, series, another uh, semester start on the life group regarding finances. And I hope that every one of us will go through that uh, life group on finances. If you're good with money, if, you know, if you're not good with money, uh, if you have your finances under control, it's still a great life group to go through because it will help you. And not only will it help us, but it will help us to help other people. And whenever you come here on Sunday morning or go to a life group, you're receiving tools to help you and also to equip you to help others. Finances have a tremendous impact on us. 
That's why I think Jesus, 40% of the parables that he talked about dealt with finances and material things. Finances are a number one reason for divorce. And we look at the divorce rate in this country. We look at divorce rate in the church. It's really about the same as it is in the world. And finances are a big reason that people get divorced. And we know that, that God hates divorce. And we know the, the impact, the devastation that divorce causes to, to families, to children. And the Lord desires that we have healthy marriages and relationships. And so it, it stems, it begins with this relationship with him. But there are other things. Our life consists more of, of just this relationship with him. It, it involves other people. It involves finances. It involves all kinds of things. But we need to keep him the center of our life and our, the center of our marriage. I'm convinced that if, if the Lord weren't the center of our marriage, we wouldn't be married. I'm pretty convinced of that. I, I gave my wife a, uh, a birthday card yesterday, and it said, it, you know, you, you've read those birthday cards, and they, they say all these wonderful things, and sometimes you're like, hmm, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can honestly agree with this, right? And so it was saying, it was giving all these wonderful attributes, oh, I love you, and you're so wonderful. And, and uh, one of the things it said Something about, uh, I appreciate your gentle strength. I had to scratch out gentle. <laughs> I had to scratch that out because she's a strong woman. And uh, she can be gentle. But uh, the, Lord, the Lord desires us to have great relationships and, and honest relationships and, and good marriages. And it starts with Him. But it also involves other things like our finances and how we manage things. It all belongs to him. Do you remember our core values? There's seven of them. Love, prayer, obedience, humility, teachability, unity, and service. Obedience and teachability are critical for spiritual growth. So we know that we need to obey the, the commands of the Lord, we need to obey when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. But we also need to be teachable. We need to be receptive to learning, but also we need to be able to teach other people as well. One of the things that I've, I've seen happen, and I, I've experienced this in my own life to some degree as well, but disobedient or unteachable people tend to remain permanently stuck. Have you ever tried to help somebody and they, they just don't want to, to change? It's kind of like the saying, if you keep doing the same things you've always done, you keep getting the same results you've always gotten. And people get spiritually stuck too, where they won't obey, where they won't yield to the Lord. And, and, and so, you know, we can help people as we model this, as we live this abundant life that Christ came to give us, and as we begin to, or continue, let me say it that way, continue to obey what the Lord tells us to do, and continue to be teachable. 
So my first point is, are you building eternal rewards? My second point this morning is the Lord supernaturally blesses us when we obey and demonstrate good stewardship. And let me say this. I've said this numerous times, but this is not a prosperity message. Give and you will get. This is about we get to give. It's not just about money. Stewardship is not just about money. But I know that there are people that are really good stewards of what God has given them, and God gives them more. God supernaturally blesses that. Not only does he bless obedience, but he blesses good stewardship as well. And that's a practical application that we can apply to our lives. Are we good stewards with what we've been given? And when you were growing up, did your, your dad ever tell you, hey, son, get your bike in and, and put it in the garage. It's raining outside. Or you left something outside. You need to bring it in. That's something that, that we need to be taught. And so we have this opportunity to teach our children and grandchildren, even, even people that are in our life, how to be good stewards and to take care of things. We are studying biblical stewardship, and there are no, numerous scriptures that show us how to apply these truths. So when we read the scripture, let's be asking the Lord, what are you saying to me through this message or through this word? My burden this morning is uh, for people that are bound up in debt. Many Christians are buried in debt. I heard some, st some statistics recently that said that, uh, I forget what the percentages were, but anyway, most people, many people, would sink if they didn't get a paycheck for a month. Many Christians were never taught about debt. They were never taught about stewardship. They were never taught about tithing. I don't ever remember my parents ever sitting down with me and talking to me about these things. Now, my parents were good Christian people. Uh, my dad was a great role model. My mom was a, uh, a great mom. And I was, I was thinking about them last night. And this is amazing to me. Not one time did I ever see my parents argue. Never. Never did I see them argue. I never saw my dad drunk. I never saw my mom drunk. I saw my dad drink a beer every once in a while. But, but I had great role models. But these are some things that were never really discussed. They never sat down and talked to me about getting into debt or setting up a budget. They never talked to me really about stewardship. I mean, there would be, uh, there would be an expectation to take care of my motorcycle and my go-kart and things that I had responsibility for. So I guess there was some element of stewardship training in that. But, for instance, my parents never talked to me about tithing. I didn't know about tithing until I became an adult. They would give me money and say, okay, put some money in the bucket. But I didn't understand what tithing was, returning the first 10% of my increase to the Lord. And so if I did some chores and got paid for it or, or I got some money or something, I didn't know that the first part of that belonged to the Lord. And the reason they didn't teach me is because I don't think they were ever taught. They didn't know. And so the Bible teaches us how to be good stewards and managers. And 
Pastor Christine and I and the leadership of this church love you enough to teach you these things and to help you. I've heard uh, people have said to me, well, it must be hard to talk about money or about tithing. No, not really. Because God talks about it. Jesus talked about it a lot. And I want to see people blessed. Again, this is not a prosperity message. We don't give to get. We get to give. But we, we need to understand some of these truths and principles so that we can live this abundant life. I don't want to see anybody buried in debt because they made foolish decisions or unwise decisions. So how do we demonstrate good stewardship to our children? I know you know the answer to this. Come on. Three answers. Example, example, example. So what are we teaching our children? You know, it's, I'm, I'm really touched. Sometimes we'll get a gift in the giving box of $1 or $0.32, $5 that's coming from our children or, or the youth. How wonderful that we're teaching them these biblical principles that maybe many of us were never taught. Giving is less about the amount and more about the heart. We need to trust in God. We need to not put our trust and faith in money. But I'm, I'm so excited when I see things like that that I know that our children are getting it. When I see you guys giving generously, it touches my heart. Because again, it's not about the money. It's about the heart. And as we honor God, He blesses us. As we're good stewards with what He has enabled us, what He has trusted us with. And please hear me, I'm talking about more than money this morning. He's entrusted us with a lot, things that are a lot more valuable than money. Luke 16, 13, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think this is such an odd scripture. You can't serve God and money. I would not have put money there. I don't know what I would have put there. But what is our, what is our perspective on money. It's a tool that we need and that we have that we can use, but it's just a tool. It should not become our God. God is our source. I know that we, uh, many times as Christians, we always have the right answer, right? The pat Christian answer. Well, God is my source. Okay, well, let me ask you to consider, do you really believe it? I'm preaching to me now. But do we really believe it? That God is our source. Do we demonstrate that as we go out and live it? Do we live this thing out? Do we really trust God? I know even as someone that is faithful in tithing and someone that's a good steward of what God has given, 
given us. We, go, we all go through tough times. We all go through those tight times sometimes. Things happen. But even beyond just money and, and tight budgets, do we trust God? Do we really trust God? God is speaking to us today. Proverbs 22, 6 and 7. I know you know Proverbs 22, 6. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Let's look at it in the New King James Version. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I like the New King James because I think it's a little bit more deliberate in my mind in the way I uh, define direct your children onto the right path and train up. You know, I'm thinking direct is kind of, okay, you're getting off the path here. Stay on the path. But train up is, oh, no, son, you need to stay on this path, and this is how you do it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. So that includes teaching our children about debt. That in, includes teaching about stewardship. That includes primarily having this relationship with Christ and developing, maintaining, and modeling that relationship. It, it entails a lot of things in training up a child because what are we training them for? To become vibrant, God-fearing, wise adults that have this relationship with Christ, not a relationship with your God, but they have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord as well. And so we're training them up. They belong to God. You are just a steward. And you get to pour into them for 18 years or however long, really for the rest of their life, right? So train up a child in the ways of the Lord. Let me ask you to consider something. When we look at Scripture, do you think it's very intentional that God puts Scripture where He puts it? <laughs> Let's look at the next verse. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Do you think there may be a correlation here that maybe we need to teach our children about debt? Maybe we need to learn about debt? Maybe we need to example to them? Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Huh. Do you have a MasterCard? Huh. Are, yeah, how many? Are you a servant to MasterCard or Visa or whatever? How you steward God's property. Can I, can I say something straight up? It's a little tough, okay? But how you steward God's property is probably exactly what your kids will model. Now, maybe that's a great thing. Hopefully it is. That's part of training. That's part of our training as adults that we're training up. And how do they learn? What they see. What they see. What we example to them. So we do our children and grandchildren, and, and not just our children, but people that are in our life that we have influence over, that we have relationships with. We do them a disservice if we're not helping them. Good stewards do three things. These, well, maybe more than three things, but these are three things that, that I've identified for today. Good stewards spend wisely. They save diligently. And they give generously. 
And many of you sitting in this room are generous givers. And the thing that that represents is our Father's heart. Because He's a generous giver. God loved the world so much that He he gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life with Him. So are you building eternal rewards? One day, if you've accepted Christ, you'll be in heaven. The opportunities for you to invest in the lives down here, to be a blessing, to share the hope and the love of Christ, will not be available. The Lord supernaturally blesses us when we obey and demonstrate good stewardship. My third point, learn good stewardship and go out and live it. Um, I wanted to make some suggestions on things that we can do. Um, Obviously, the the first thing I would say is that the first 10% of our increase belongs to the Lord. The second thing I would say is we need to pay ourselves as well. I would suggest that you save 10 or 15% of your income. You need to be saving money and live on 75 to 80% of your, your income. That would be a challenge. You know, a lot of people are living right at the cusp at 100%, 102%, maybe even above and beyond that. Be informed when you're shopping for things like electricity and cell phone service and things like that. There are some practical things that we can do. And if you need some help, uh, you know, talk, go to, one, go to the life group. Go to that financial life group. That will help you. But Pastor Christine and I and others are here to help, help you. But, but it's going to require, if you're buried in debt, it's going to require some changes. It's going to require that you work at it. I remember I lived with my cousin. She was about 10 years older than I was. I lived with her in San Antonio for a few months. I'd moved to San Antonio, and I was looking for a job up there. And until I could get settled in my apartment, I lived with her. And she had a budget, and she had so much money every day to eat on. She said, this is all I have to eat on. So she didn't go out to eat with her peers and things like that. Let me tell you, she made some awesome sandwiches. (laughs) Still to this day, I can remember those sandwiches. But she had to make some decisions to get out of debt. And she she was committed. And and in her latter years, she was, I would say, uh, she had done well. She had done well financially. So here's another suggestion. Get with her family and put a budget together. Set realistic goals. Sit down with your children and say, look, these are our goals for the family here, financial goals. And I'd suggest you have financial goals, spiritual goals, all kinds of goals that you want to accomplish. And sit down with your family and say, this is what we want to accomplish. So we're all going to need to pitch in and help. Train up. Direct your child onto the right path. Help them. Because one day they're going to be sitting in your place with their family 
So put together a budget. A budget is a simple plan on how and where you spend your money. I know that uh, for, for Pastor Christine and I, we were debt-free. And uh, that was a process. We weren't always debt-free. And we had some learning lessons along the way. And uh, the fourth house we bought, the one we live in now, is paid for. But as we bought, uh, before we got married, I bought a house. I was buying a house, a small house. And then we sold that house and put the equity into the second house. The second house we did a lot of remodeling on. We doubled what we, uh, what we sold the house for, was double what we paid for it because we'd done all these upgrades. And then the, the second house, we took the equity from that and put into our uh, house up here when we moved to Houston. And uh, then this, the house we're in now is, is paid for. We don't have any debt. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know how liberating it is to be debt-free? <laughs> it's amazing. It really is amazing. I see some of you smiling because you know. Um, and you also probably know what it's like to be buried in debt and the, the pressure that that puts on you. So the other thing you can do is build up six months of living expenses. Figure out how much you need a month and begin to, to build toward that. Another thing you can do is get out of debt. <laughs> get out of debt. Most of us have mortgages, but you can do some things instead of buying a new car every couple of years. Get that car paid off and then begin to save. Instead of making that car payment, put that into a savings account. And then when it comes time to buy another car, maybe you have enough money to buy, pay cash. One of the things that, that we do is we get an allotment or an allowance every payday, and that's what we have. To, to buy food with, if I want a new shirt. There's something about pulling money out of your wallet that's different than pulling a credit card out. Because you pull out that, that greenback, that bill, and you're going, hmm, how much do I have? Do I really want to spend this much money on that item? Hey, can I get this on sale? <laughs> But there's something about pulling out the credit card and you just stick that thing in and you're not really thinking about it. So maybe go to more of a cash basis. These are things that can help you. Uh, many of us have, have learned how to be good stewards. One of the things you can do is pay off your credit card every month. Just pay it off. If you don't pay it off, then say, okay, if I don't pay it off this month, I'm cutting that thing up. If you're in debt, buy only what you need. If you need to eat sandwiches at lunch, at work, for a year, do it. But get focused on what you need to do until you get your finances in order. And then again, uh, another suggestion that, that I've already talked about multiple times today is attend the Life Group Personal Finance God's Way class that, that Barb and uh, Jim are co-leading even if you are a good steward of your finances. Because there'll be some things maybe that will be reiterated to you. There'll be some things maybe that you can learn, that you can help other people. Are you building eternal rewards? The Lord supernaturally blesses us when we obey and demonstrate good stewardship. And then let's learn good stewardship and go out and live it.
the Lord is speaking to us. I don't, I don't get political from this platform, but I will say this. I don't see how our current financial structure can sustain itself the way this country's going and the way we're spending money. But let's, before we start pointing fingers at the government, let's look at our own finances. Are we prepared? What happens if there's a recession? You guys have been in the grocery store. It's amazing how much stuff costs. It's ridiculous how much it costs. So, but what, what can we do now to offset that? What can we do to plan ahead? What can we do to be good stewards? And the Bible is full of principles and truths that we can implement, not just financially, but in every area of our life. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came that we would live this abundant life on every level, that we have the ability to, to pull a $100 bill out of our pocket and give it to somebody when the Holy Spirit says, bless them. Do you have money in your wallet that you can do that with? Do you know how much joy it is to give to somebody when the Holy Spirit says, go give them a $100 bill? Do we understand maybe the impact in that person's life? Where maybe they were praying and they were struggling, they were saying, God, I want to believe that you're real, but I just don't know if you really are. And then somebody comes up and gives them a $100 bill or a blesses, blesses them, fills up their, their car with gas or something. And they're like, I think you are, Lord. I think you just heard my prayer. Because you just met my need in a practical way. And there's a practical application and there's a spiritual result. And God is looking for people that he can trust, that he can pour through, that will do what he asked them to do so that people will understand that God is real, that God really does love them, that God hears their prayer, and that God answers prayer. 